After two years of doing this podcast, I still don't understand how soil carbon sequestration works. Don't get me wrong, I understand the carbon cycle and how plants pull CO2 out of the atmosphere as they grow and then release CO2 when they die. And around and around that goes, I get that. It's when that carbon steps out of that cycle and becomes stored in the soil for years, decades, even centuries, that's the part I'm still having trouble with. And it's a vital part to understand for both agricultural reasons and climate reasons. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're doing a Soil Carbon Sequestration 101. I'd like to say I had it all planned out this way. You know, release a soil carbon sequestration episode just before the growing season starts. My friends, I'm not that smart. I recently found this recording, actually. This is from the Organic Alberta Conference in 2018 in Red Deer. For those of you who've been listening to the podcast for the last two years or who have listened to earlier episodes, you know that the Organic Alberta 2018 conference presentations that we recorded were the first few episodes we produced for the podcast. You know, those episodes where the intro music just went on and on and on and my introduction went on and on and on. So Sarah Grass and Kieran Mountain, I'm sure all our listeners are grateful for you pointing that out in a very polite way so as not to hurt my feelings that maybe, just maybe, a shorter intro would be a good idea. This episode is actually a reintroduction to soil carbon sequestration. We covered soil carbon sequestration in episode 11. Uh, that one featured Dr. Monica Gorzalak, who's a soil scientist, and Irakana rancher Doug Ray. We also covered soil biology, so all those little critters and microbes that live in the soil, in episode 16 with Dr. Jeff Battagelli. Both worth checking out if you get a chance. Soil carbon sequestration is just so complex, I don't think a reintroduction will hurt us. Plus, since, well, carbon is a key element for growing food for agriculture along with water and sunshine, I don't think we're ever going to have enough soil carbon content. The recording is the presentation of Dr. Tracy Misewich. She was, at that time, working for the Organic Center. Uh, the Organic Center is a not-for-profit research institution based in Washington, D.C. If you've listened to Episode 7, so How Organics Fight Climate Change, you probably recognize the name. Now, Dr. Misewich has moved on. She's now a National Science Foundation postdoctoral fellow. And she's researching the role of natural selection in the diversification of an Amazonian tree. I uh, pulled that directly from Dr. Misevich's LinkedIn profile. In the past, so uh, episode seven, I referred to Dr. Misevich as like the, the funnest scientist you'll ever meet. She just has like really good vibes about her and a really engaging way of presenting. In fact, she had this really cool game to show us, in the presentation I mean by that, to show us the difference between carbon that had been sequestered and carbon that had not been sequestered. So now I'm going to give you a test um, because this is Carbon Sequestration 101. So the, 
the name of the game is, is this carbon sequestered? So all you have to do is, I want you to raise your hand if the answer is yes. And if the answer is no, just keep it down. Yep, so you probably recognize this if you were a misbehaving child. This is coal. Um, is this carbon sequestered? If the answer is yes, raise your hand. Yes, it is. Um, so carbon is actually fossilized plant matter. Remember, plants are made out of carbon. And so that means this is basically like the gold standard when it comes to uh, carbon sequestration. Coal, fossil fuels, fossils, right? They're animals, they're plants that were made of carbon that have now essentially turned to inorganic carbon molecules that are not part of the carbon cycle. All right, how about when we burn that coal? Is this carbon sequestered? No. I like it. Yes, as soon as we burn that coal, <laughs> it's going right back into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide. All right, your dog. Is your dog sequestering carbon? What do you think? If you think yes, raise your hand. All right. <laughs> no, no is the answer for this one. Yes, your dog is made of carbon-based molecules, but the lifespan of a dog is only 10 to 15 years. So as soon as Fluffy dies, it will be sad, but then she's going to decompose, she's going to go into the soil, soil microbes are going to digest that organic matter, and it's going to go back into the atmosphere. How about the Amazon rainforest? Raise your hand if it's yes. Is it, it is yes, most of the time. So you're probably thinking, well, Fluffy is not sequestering carbon, but these trees are. What is going on? Well, first, trees do have a longer lifespan than dogs. They can live for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. That's fabulous. Um, but really what's happening when we talk about a forest is that we're not talking about the individual trees. So for instance, in the Amazon rainforest, we have succession. It's continually happening. So one tree dies, and there's a ton of little seedlings that shoot up in its place. So when we talk about carbon that's sequestered in forests, we're talking about the lifespan of the forest and not of a tree. And the Amazon rainforest has been around for 55 million years. So the total biomass stored in the Amazon rainforest hasn't changed for 55 million years. And that means all the carbon molecules that are needed to make all those trees has also remained consistent. Of course, except for when we cut them down, which we're doing sadly. All right, annual crops. Is this carbon sequestered? Raise your hand if you're yes. And it's okay to get it wrong. There'd be no point in me being here if everybody knew the answer. <laughs> so uh, annual crops are not sequestering carbon. Because again, we don't know what they're growing for three months, and we're cutting them down, we're feeding them the cows, we're eating them. Um, they're going back into the soil. So the actual corn plant itself, we do not consider that sequestered carbon. And how about agricultural soils? What do you think? Raise your hand if yes, are agricultural soils sequestering carbon? All right, and this, this is sort of the point of my whole presentation. Um, carbon, or soil, is an excellent store of carbon. Um, we know, scientists have shown us that our agricultural practices uh, in the past and currently have really degraded our soils, and we've released immense amounts of carbon from our soils. So currently, we are releasing more carbon from our soils than we're storing, but there is an opportunity to write this wrong, and with good agricultural practices, we can actually be building those carbon stores instead of depleting them. So what are those agricultural practices? Dr. Misowicz gets into that at the end of her presentation. But what I can tell you is they fall into those three categories that you'd probably expect. 
So anything you can do to reduce tillage, anything you can do to get more organic matter into your soil, and anything you can do to reduce or prevent erosion. I also really liked in that part how she described fossil fuels as like carbon sequestration perfected. Since we need to transition away from fossil fuels, I always have like negative imagery when I think of them. But yeah, I didn't actually think that they're really the, the most perfect form of that process that a lot of us are promoting right now. We just need to stop burning this stuff and, and leave it in that perfectly sequestered form, if that makes any sense. And I really like the analogy that she comes up with, with the whole savings account and checkings account when it comes to carbon. It's basically how she differentiates between the label carbon pool and the stable carbon pool. So the stable pool, that's what we're talking about when it comes to soil carbon sequestration, the stuff that's actually being stored in the ground. is that label pool, so that checkings account, that's the carbon that cycles. Dr. Misowicz's presentation is broken into three parts. She pretty much takes the term, so soil carbon sequestration, and breaks it into its three words. So what is soil, what is carbon, and what is sequestration? She also goes over the multiple benefits soil carbon sequestration has for agricultural land, and as I said before, she gets into those beneficial management practices. She does such a great job of explaining this, I don't really imagine I'm going to need to jump in much during her presentation to clarify anything. Thank you. I am very excited to be here. This is my first trip to Canada, and I love it. In spite of this freezing cold weather, I came here from California. Um, but it's, it's beautiful. We don't get snow where I'm from, so I, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Um, so today is... What was that? Oh, yeah, might, maybe I brought it with me. <laughs> um, as Derek mentioned, I'll be <coughs> talking to you about carbon sequestration. So this is Carbon Sequestration 101. Um, so I'm going to try to give you the most sort of basic overview of what it is, because as it turns out, carbon sequestration and the carbon cycle is incredibly complex. Uh, so carbon is an element. You probably recognize it from high school. It's on the periodic table. Um, right there. Um, carbon is an atom. It is an element. And that means the carbon that we have on Earth, it's not being created or destroyed. We have it, it's here, and it's basically taking different forms and being cycled and recycled, but we're not making new carbon and we're never destroying carbon. It's just the form that it's in differs. Carbon can exist in inorganic molecules. So for example, the molecules that make up diamonds and also organic molecules, like the molecules that make up poop. Um, I just like putting poop and diamonds next to each other. I'll let you guess which one I think is more valuable. Um, but <laughs> the point that I want to make here also is that the animal that made that poop is also made of carbon. And all living things on Earth, in fact, are made of carbon. So all known living organisms, whether it's a bacteria, a fungus, humans, a plant, they are all carbon-based organisms. So we all have carbon atoms in our body. So what is carbon sequestration? So not all carbon is carbon that is sequestered, right? So carbon sequestration is basically the removal and storage of carbon from the atmosphere into long-term carbon stores or sinks. So essentially what we're doing is typically pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere 
and we're storing it in some other form for a very long period of time. So we can think of carbon sequestration as like the Earth's carbon savings account. Now Earth also has a checking account and carbon is going in there bi-weekly, monthly, and then it's coming right back out to pay the bills. We have the savings account, carbon is going into it and it's just staying there. So we have sequestered carbon and then sort of our labile carbon, this carbon that's just constantly being cycled from the air to the earth to the oceans and back again. All right, so this is an incredible oversimplification of the carbon cycle. Um, but the point that I wanna make here again is that carbon is constantly cycling between the atmosphere, uh, the terrestrial biome and the ocean. And before humans, this was a very stable process. So it's constantly cycling, and then over time, slowly, some of that carbon is being deposited as fossil carbon, where it's essentially being removed from the carbon cycle for very long periods of time. Of course, here we are, humans on Earth, we're driving cars, we're cutting down forests, and so we are increasing the amount of carbon that's entering the atmosphere, both through forest, um, forest degradation, as well as burning fossil fuels. So when we talk about um, you know, the carbon cycle, let's think about trees for a second. How does all of that carbon even get into a tree, right? How does this tiny little seedling grow, get enough carbon to become this gigantic redwood? So this is gonna be the last test I have for you guys. Um, and I expect you to get it wrong. I've asked college students this. I asked my sister it right before I came here. And everybody gets it wrong every time. But I want to know what you think. How does carbon get into a tree? How does the tree get it in? And where does it come from? Air? Soil? Carbon dioxide. All right. So you all did better than most of my, my college students. Yeah. So all of that carbon comes into the plant through the leaves in the form of carbon dioxide, every single bit of it. Um, water and nutrients are coming up through the roots. Carbon dioxide is coming in through the leaves. Together with energy from the sunlight, we have the chemical process of photosynthesis. And basically, in a nutshell, water plus oxygen, I mean, carbon dioxide plus sunlight um, reacts to make sugars and oxygen. Oxygen is the waste product. It's released back into the atmosphere. Good for us, since we breathe it. Um, and the plant produces sugar molecules, okay? Now, if you string those different sugar molecules together, and really, you, it's hard to see, but the key point is that there's all these different C's in here, all that carbon. You string them together, and that's how you build cellulose. And cellulose is the main building block of cell walls and fiber. So when you crunch into that celery, think, ah, carbon, it's all that cellulose that was built through photosynthesis. Now, plants, photosynthesize through in their leaves, right? And so that means that carbon dioxide is only being removed from the atmosphere when plants have leaves, okay? So in the wintertime here, most of the plants do not have leaves. So in any deciduous forest, which is a forest where plants drop their leaves in the winter, plants are not photosynthesizing then. So they are not pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So a lot of, when we're talking about the carbon cycle, a lot of the things that are happening are happening over long periods of time, but they're also sort of sub-cycles that are happening, and we can actually visualize what happens um, season to season. So what I'm gonna show you now is basically images from NASA that show the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. 
Um, the way that you read it is basically the warmer the colors are, so the yellows and the oranges and the reds, that means more carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere. You're going to notice that there's more carbon dioxide in the northern hemisphere. That's because there's more landmass there, and there's also more people there. And so, January, we have February, right? No photosynthesis, building up March, it's really cold, come on spring, April, that carbon dioxide is just building up in the atmosphere. May, finally, our trees have these tiny little green buds. We are so sick of the winter. Bam, June comes, those trees leaf right out and photosynthesis starts. And so we can see this immediate decrease in carbon dioxide. This is natural, it happens every single year. Those trees keep photosynthesizing, they are removing that carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. October comes, leaves are turning colors, starting to fall off, bam, they're gone November. Carbon dioxide <laughs> starts building right back up again. <coughs> so carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. It is a natural part of our atmosphere. We need it without carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. The earth would be a cold, barren wasteland, even colder than Alberta. Um, we would not be able to live. <laughs> But there's a right amount of greenhouse gases, a right amount of carbon dioxide. So you can think of the Earth is sleeping with no blankets on. Earth is going to wake up cold, right? Throws on a blanket, maybe two blankets in California, feeling good, maybe five blankets in Alberta. But if the Earth puts on 10 blankets, so all that carbon dioxide is going to wake up in the middle of the night sweating. And that's what's happening when we continually add greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. We're putting more blankets on Earth, and it's getting warmer and warmer. And so this graph shows us the correlation between the increase in human carbon dioxide emissions and the direct correlation between the increase in atmospheric carbon dioxide. So humans are making a difference. We're putting carbon into the atmosphere. And I can tell you for sure that there is 30% more CO2 in the atmosphere today than there was 30 years ago. And soil cores show us that there's more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than there has been in the last half a million years. Okay, so soil carbon pool, right? Carbon, uh, I mean, soil has the potential um, to hold 2,200 gigatons of carbon. That's the carbon that's in our soils. Carbon is the world's second largest carbon sink after the oceans. Um, so there's a lot of potential there. But what does this have to do with agriculture, right? We have a lot of land, there's a lot of soil. There's a lot of land that's probably not agriculture, right? Well, this map really allows us to visualize the extent to which agriculture covers our land surfaces. Um, so the way you read this is basically any land that is brown is land that's devoted to rangeland or cropland. And you can see that with the exception of our far north land mass, which is covered in ice, some major biomes such as the Amazon rainforest, the Sahara Desert, a huge portion of our land is devoted in one way or another to agriculture. And we also know that agriculture has been directly responsible for losses in soil organic carbon. So this is research that just came out a couple months ago. It was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which if you're into science like I am, it is one of the most prestigious journals you can publish in. And what scientists did is they went ahead and they modeled the loss of carbon from our agricultural soils over the last 1,200 years. 
And so what they found is that we have lost 133 billion metric tons of carbon from the top two meters of soil globally. And we also found that that rate of loss has increased dramatically over the last 200 years. So agriculture, you know, it makes a difference. But again, we can reverse this. So scientists have also estimated that we have the potential to sequester one to three billion tons of carbon in our soils annually. And this is enough to offset uh, 11 to 32% of global carbon emissions, right? So we've been part of the problem in agriculture, but we can really be part of the solution. Okay, so now let's talk about soils. What exactly is a soil? So soils are a combination of inorganic matter and organic matter. So we'll start with like our inorganic matter, which may be bedrock. It's been weathered over time by the sun, by the rain, by the wind, until it exists as tiny particles. Then we have organic matter, dead animals, leaves, um, things like that. That organic matter is broken down over time by different microbes, by earthworms, by fungus, until we arrive at what we know to be a soil today. So you see these different horizons, it's darker at the top because that's where the organic matter is. So ultimately, soils are a complex mixture of organic matter, minerals, air, water, nutrients, and biodiversity. They're constantly interacting with each other. Um, and organic matter is one of the most important things when it comes to carbon sequestration. So soil organic matter, so you'll hear me talking about this a lot. Soil organic matter is basically decomposing leaves, roots, root exudates, um, different microbes and macroorganisms that were in the soil. And soil organic matter is approximately 60% soil organic carbon. So whether you're reading about things or you're listening to me talk, uh, maybe because I'm talking about different studies, I'll use the word soil organic matter. Sometimes I'll say soil organic carbon. Um, remember carbon, the soil organic carbon is a subset of that soil organic matter, but because they're so tightly correlated, um, they really mean the same thing when we're talking about carbon in the soil. So if there's more soil organic matter in the soil, we know there's more soil organic carbon in the soil. And there's a lot of benefits to having soil organic matter in your soil. Um, so first and foremost for today, climate change benefits, right? Because we're sequestering carbon, we're pulling that carbon out of the atmosphere, and we're keeping it in our soils. It's also really great for water quality, so it's important for water filtration. Um, it pulls out a lot of particulate matter that we would probably have to filter out otherwise if we're gonna drink that water. And it's the basis of the food web, right? So the tiniest microbes start by eating soil organic matter. They get eaten by bigger microbes. Then come the small insects. The birds are eating the earthworms. Plants are growing in it. We're eating plants. We're eating animals. It is the basis of the entire food web. And it also provides a lot of agronomic benefits. Um, so it improves soil structure. So this is a picture of a soil aggregate. And what that means is that different particles of soil bind tightly to each other. There's gonna be pieces of roots in there. There's gonna be fungal hyphae. And that is really key um, to soil health because it keeps soil from eroding. Um, it keeps nutrients from being washed out. Um, carbon that's within those little aggregates is not susceptible to degradation by microbes. So it's sequestered for longer. It improves against soil compaction, right? So the more soil organic matter you have, when you drive over that with your tractor, um, 
it's going to be your soil is going to be resistant to compaction. And of course, compaction is bad because when it occurs, you're reducing that pore space in between your soil particles and your soil aggregates. And what that means is that there's going to be less room for your roots to grow and that you won't have those pore spaces to hold on to nutrients or air or water. It protects against erosion because again, when your soil particles are tightly bound to each other, they're not going to be washed away by water as easily. They're not going to be blown away by the wind. And it increases water holding capacity. And again, this has to do with that pore space. So here we have saturated soils. Um, here, right, so totally full of water. Field capacity, so we've dried so that we're not at the saturation point anymore. And then the wilting point. And this is where the crop wilts and basically can't recover even if you water it again. And so you can see that if these pores are much smaller, then the time between this point and this point is also going to be much shorter. So the more soil organic matter in, you have in there, the more soil aggregates, the more pores, large and small you have, the more your soil is going to be able to hold onto water. Um, and also, soil nutrients bind to soil organic matter. Um, so it serves as a reservoir for nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur in the soil. And it is really great for soil organisms. Um, so of course, earthworms, this is an example of a beneficial um, soil living animal uh, that eats soil organic matter. And studies have shown that if we increase soil organic carbon in our soil, we increase the microbial diversity. So here on our y-axis right here, we have microbial biomass carbon. That's essentially the amount of carbon that is held in microbes in the soil. If we were going to do the same thing for this room, we would call it human biomass carbon, and I would say how much carbon is held in this room by people. But they're looking at it for microbes, and we see a direct correlation between microbes and carbon in the soil. So now I'm going to get to nitty-gritty. How does this carbon actually get into the soil? Um, and I'm sure this is really what all your farms look like. I tried to make it as realistic as possible. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Um, it's getting into the plants through photosynthesis. So we know that plants are taking carbon dioxide out of the air. They're building their mass with it. And then that, are, that carbon that's now in the plants, it's going to go into the soil. It's going to go into the soil when they die. It's going to go in the soil when, um, through the roots that are also made of carbon that are left in there. Um, maybe your cow has been eating some grass. It's going to poop, and that, again, there is organic matter in there. That's going to get into the soil. So that's essentially how all carbon gets into the soil. It has to be through organic matter, so it's going to be through um, the degradation of plants or animals or any living thing. Now that organic matter that's now in your soil, it's slowly degrading, not all of it is going to stay there. So there's typically two pools of carbon, or two pools of organic matter, either way, of both. Um, your stable pool, and then what we call the labile pool. And so the stable pool is going to be pretty resistant to degradation. It's going to stay in the soil for long periods of time. Uh, studies have found that stable carbon can be retained in soils for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. And then we have this labile pool, and this is the pool of carbon that we could consider to be in the Earth's checking account. Um, and that's because it's broken down pretty easily by soil microbes. Now this is an, an important pool of carbon for soil health, and microbes are, are very important, but microbes like us, um, 
they eat to get their energy. So they don't rely on photosynthesis. They can't make their own energy. So they eat soil organic matter. And then in their chemical process, they breathe out carbon dioxide just like we do. So they make energy. They respire carbon. And so they put carbon dioxide right back into the atmosphere. And then, of course, we can lose a lot of carbon from our farms through erosion, both water and wind. So ultimately, when we're talking about agricultural management practices, what we want to do is increase the amount of soil organic matter that we're putting into our soils, and we want to decrease the loss of soil organic matter or soil organic carbon via uh, processes such as uh, bacterial degradation and also physical processes such as erosion. So there's a number of management practices which have been shown to increase carbon sequestration and carbon in the soils. Um, they fall into the categories of fertility management, crop rotations, and crop selection. So when we talk about fertility management, it can be introducing organic matter into the system. So again, I mean, that carbon, it has, there's a source. You have to put organic matter into the system in order to build carbon in your soil. Car those carbon molecules have to come from somewhere. And so a lot of times it can be from manure. It can be from using green manure. Um, and it has to be through judicious use of synthetic fertilizer. So some use of synthetic fertilizer is not always bad in, con in conventional systems because what happens is that if it makes your crop grow bigger, um, then there is going to be more uh, organic matter, more plant that can go down into the soil eventually. But studies also show that long-term use of synthetic fertilizer and overuse of synthetic fertilizer actually degrades soil organic carbon. Um, so if you're an organic or a, a non-organic producer, if you're a conventional producer, you still need to be trying to reduce your use of synthetic fertilizers because it can be very detrimental. Now, for us organic farmers, using manure and green manure, compost, things like that, that is fantastic. Using extended crop rotations uh, makes a big difference. And then including things like legumes, forage, and perennials in your systems uh, have been shown by research to increase soil organic carbon. And then utilizing practices like reduced tillage. So not all tillage is bad. It's good to incorporate soil organic matter into the soil, but you don't want to do it over time. When you're tilling your soil all the time, essentially what you're doing is you're exposing those soil microbes to oxygen and the sunlight and you know, moist air, and they're feeling good, and they're like, I'm feeling good, I'm going to eat. And I go to the buffet, I'm going to break down all of that soil organic matter, and I'm going to respire it right back into the atmosphere. Um, and so that's why no-till and reduced reduce tillage um, are really important because essentially one of the things that you're doing when you're tilling is stimulating that microbial community to break down your carbon. We want to manage our fallow periods so that they're occurring in the winter because, again, soil microbes are feeling good and energetic in the summer when it's warm, just like we do. Um, and that's when they're going to break down the most soil organic carbon. So they're the most active in the summer when it's warm. So we want to manage our fallow periods so that if we have them, they're going to be happening in colder times. And then erosion control, of course. And this can be through planting buffers or hedgerows. You're going to be more resi resilient to erosion if you have healthy soils that have high levels of soil organic matter. But basically having your soils wash off of your farm is the easiest way to lose tons of carbon. 
So the main points I want to leave you with, healthy soils equals healthy crops, and it also equals a healthy earth. I think the really cool thing for me listening to that presentation is all the different practices that she advocates for in her presentation. They're all the land management practices that rural roots of climate solutions would go on to promote. You got to keep in mind, in the winter of 2018, we were just getting started. And I want to make something clear. We aren't the first group, or we weren't the first group to talk about these different land management practices. I've said this before, not sure if I said it on the podcast, but I have said it before. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. So here's, I guess, my ode to all the groups, or some of the groups we've worked with in the past. So do you want to get some of that green infrastructure in place to prevent carbon loss through soil erosion? Well, then go talk to the Agroforestry and Woodlot Extension Society of Alberta, or Oz, or Cows and Fish, or Alice. Reduce tillage, reduce synthetic fertilizer use. Does it sound like a good thing to you? Well, I'm pretty sure the Prairie Organic Growers Initiative's got a couple ideas for you there. Want to get those legumes, perennials, forages into your system to increase your organic matter? The University of Alberta in Breton and AAFC at Lethbridge, as well as the Gateway Research Organization in Westlock, they're all doing experiments with perennial grains. And then you have all those amazing forage groups we have in Alberta, which are a great source of information. And for everything soil carbon related, you know, we have those applied research groups. And what are my personal favorites? And yeah, okay, they do sit on our advisory committee. Definitely hit up Food Water Wellness Foundation. I'm pretty sure I forgot a group here or there, and I am really sorry, but all I wanted to say is, Alberta, if you want to up your soil carbon sequestration game, the information is here, and it's right at your fingertips. Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based project empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots is a project of the Stetler Learning Centre in East Central Alberta, and we run workshops, farm field days, webinars, we have a farmer's blog, this podcast, and the Solar Lab, which is all about helping communities in rural Alberta to develop their own community-owned renewable energy projects. For more information about us and what we do, just go to the website, www.rr2cs.ca. The small but mighty Rural Roots of Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, myself, Derek Leahy, and we have a brand new team member. Her name's Deandra Brucehead, and she's going to be our Solar Lab Coordinator in Kainai First Nation. So welcome, Deandra. Kimberly Cornish, Dana Penrice, Aaron Wilkie, and Mark Fox sit on the advisory committee. The podcast receives funding from the Government of Alberta and Energy Efficiency Alberta, Mystery Planet, edited this episode, and most of the episode was recorded on Treaty 7 lands. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta, and remember, what's good for the farm is usually good for the climate.